This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. It feels like I have to run on the stage with that music. How's everyone doing? I'm Christoph Trapp, your host. I'm not running anywhere because thank you to COVID, I have not left this chair in, I don't know, 12 months. However, today we want to talk about um, how do you thrive in today's marketing world? Things have certainly changed quite a bit. um, And I want to bring on a number of guests from around the globe in the UK, the US, um, and, you know, we want to talk about what can you do, how can you learn things, how can you move forward. Of course, first of all, um, thank you to webinsights.com. They're um, sponsoring this webinar. And of course, we are live streaming to a number of different channels and of course, also the webinar platform. I think this might be the most guests I've ever had on a show. So we'll see if I can get a word in. If I don't, that's fine. Um, but let's get them on here one by one and introduce um, I'll ask him to introduce themselves to you. First, Krista Nelson. Krista, how's it going? Hey, good, thank you. How are you? Um, living the dream, as they say. Um, going, going with it as, as I can. Um, thanks for joining us. Tell us tell us who you are, what do you do, and um, you know, we'll jump right in. Okay, so I work at um, Capita in the UK and I am their head of uh, account-based marketing and industry. We've been um, pr- uh, delivering that as a proof of concept within the business for the past year um, and seen some really um, some really phenomenal successes with it. So uh, we're now in the process of seeing how we expand that, not just on a one-to-one basis, but um, throughout uh, uh, an ABM Lite program as well. So really exciting times. Of course, ABM programs are becoming more and more important, especially as we're trying to, you know, create stuff um, for specific people. The next guest, uh, we'll bring him on here. And I've been connected with him for, I don't know, a long time. I'm not supposed to say that. Shows you how old I am, I guess, as Mark Schaefer reminds me. Daryl Alfonso with Amazon Web Services. I don't know how we connected, Daryl, but thanks thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, Christoph. Um yeah, a little bit about myself. I um, I've been working in um, you know B two B marketing marketing operations for you know the past I don't know 11, 12 years, both in startups, mid and mid sized companies, uh, and now and now to enterprise companies. Um, today, I'm the uh, global marketing operations manager at Amazon Web Services, and uh, we are our the goal of our team is to really empower. The hundreds of marketers that uh, use our marketing technology to to create exceptional digital experiences. Um, but in my former role, I led I led marketing for a data insights company um, called Hitwise, and uh, I led it for Americas and, and APAC. Um, so I'm happy to share, you know, both from my experience now and and from my past experience, you know, leading sort of demand generation, um, field marketing, etc. So happy happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And I know it's a, you're the earliest time zone of the bunch here uh, with being on the West Coast. So thanks for getting up early and bringing your coffee. I'm in the central time zone. I got I still I'm still drinking coffee. I'm not going to tell you how many cups I'm into 
this uh, party today. Next up, Amy Kelly with user testing. Amy, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Christoph. It's great to be here. Um, awesome. Yeah, I can give you a, a little introduction. So um, my name is Amy Kelly. I am the director of EMEA Marketing at User Testing. Um, our human and tech platform just connects businesses, businesses and human in a more um, human way, really. And we help uh, organizations really understand what your customer is going through to help build exceptional customer experiences. Christoph, I know you're in the same world as us, so we have that in common. And um, yeah, at the moment, it's a B2B role that I'm heading up across all channels and uh, just really helping to launch the, the organization in uh, EMEA. So we are born and bred over in Silicon Valley and um, have been in the game a long time, but uh, we've just been in Europe for a year and a half. So it's been that very exciting startup world of doing a lot of things and testing a lot of things and figuring out what works and what doesn't. Um, before that, I was also in a B2B role, but at Facebook, where I worked at um, Audience Network. And uh, I did a short stint at YouTube and then also previously was in ITB. So I have worked for some of the larger brands. And uh, before that, I worked in the agency world. So I've got a bit of a, a taste of both sides, which is, is good. So it brings a, you know both perspectives. But yeah, really excited to be here. I think it's a really fascinating and very relevant conversation. So thank you. Yeah. You bet. Third, certainly, we are in a fascinating world today, so I'm, I'm interested to hear you guys' thoughts. We have two more guests um, that we need to introduce quickly here, and then we'll jump right in. Um, Mark Baker with Oracle. Mark, I didn't ask you where you're located. I'm here in uh, what is a sunny London, UK today. Okay. Sunny. Well, we got snow here in Iowa, but tell us about yourself quickly. Well, I've been at Oracle now for uh, 17 years in a, a range of sales and marketing roles. Uh, over the last four years, I've run strategy and operations for marketing across EMEA and APAC. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And last but not least, we have the CMO of Web Insights. Um, she was on the Business Storytelling Podcast before. I don't remember how long ago. It seems like a lifetime ago, but time currently flies. Um, Lila Wade, back. Welcome. Welcome back. We can't hear you. Is it on my end? Can you hear me? Yes. Are you able to hear me okay? I think so. Yeah, super. Well, thank you very much for having me back again. Like you say, I think it was in November um, last year that we met. Um, and uh, yeah, it was really good fun. So I thought I'd be back again today. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Look at that. Six people on screen. This is my most fun Zoom call of the day so far. Thank you guys for making it enjoyable. So let's talk about, I mean, certainly everybody's always trying to um, differentiate and try to be successful. Um, maybe we want to start with COVID and then we can talk about um, how does it, you know, how is it not related to COVID or, or whatnot. Um, but what are you seeing? What has changed um, or has anything changed? Um, just I can pick on you. You can raise your hand like we're in school. Or you can just jump in. I, th I think we've probably all had a few conversations with peers across the industry about uh, about COVID over the last while. Um, there may not be much new to say. <laughs> <laughs> but anyone doing a lot of physical events? Yeah, I mean, you haven't done any, right, yet? 
Not yet, not yet. I think it's almost a year since our last in-person event, although I'm really missing it. There's nothing like the, the buzz of a trade show, right? Absolutely. So as COVID has uh, impacted things other than events, what, what other trends are you seeing that uh, that people are overcoming? How, how can people strive through them and, and uh, reach success once again? I mean... I suppose from my side, just reflecting on that, I and mean, sort of, you know, what is the single biggest change that we've seen? For me, it's um, very much change about uh, attitude and approach. You know, we had to change when we went into lockdown here in the UK. Um, it was literally an overnight, everyone had to work from home. And there were so many people who had been office, not just office based, but actually office bound before, um, who had wanted that flexibility. And companies have said, look, no, for security, for, um, you know, whatever reason actually you need to to be in the office and um you know that changed overnight companies had to change had to um had to adapt and now we've sort of seen that mindset of you know actually if the need is urgent enough or if the need is great enough then then we can do things actually we can do them and we can change and we can be um you know we can be agile when we need to be and so for me coming into 2021 i feel like there is a much greater sense of aspiration about what is achievable, about how we can overcome, about how we can, um, you know, how we can work together. And maybe it is just 12 months of lockdown and we're all just desperate to get out there and um, and, and, and do what we can. But I feel like the answer is, um, you know, the corporate answer is, is, is yes, a lot more than it used to be. And, you know, we can figure a way around that. Yes, we can, we, we can find some opportunity. Um, you know, so for me, that's, uh, you know, it's definitely been sort of the attitude approach and the um, willingness for people to be a bit more agile, a bit more, um, you know, willing to take on, uh, take on and try different things and, and fail at them, fail fast and, you know, um, move forward and, uh, you know, try, learn tr and try something new and, and try and drive success that way. It really has been impressive how, how creative people have been trying new things, you know, in direct direct marketing in in digital um, and of course everyone's had to learn virtual um, from scratch in many cases and and people have been you know trying failing picking themselves up doing better next time and it's it, the level of of focus and energy and creativity that people have brought to uh, their marketing approaches you know both at, at my company and other companies i've been really impressed with feels like there's been a lot more tolerance for that sort of, you know, that idea of failing fast, of trying and testing, that we've sort of almost been given a year where we can go out and try something new and, you know, just to see if they do work. So, um, you know, we've run a lot more trials, a lot more proof of concepts over the past year in in um, the marketing team. And part of that's to do with, a, you know, a restructure and a new approach. Um, but I think a lot of that's been because we sort of had this freedom to go and try and do things and to, you know, try and work around, uh, you know, what for uh, a lot of us is a, a new and unique situation. And just to jump in there as well, from my perspective, I think that um, as, as all as consumers as well, I think one of the, the most um, interesting parts of when COVID first hit, it was battle of the emails. You know, 
my God, I just got so many emails from you know people I hadn't shopped with for years and, and I really didn't care what they were doing in sport because everything was just a bit overwhelming. So to be honest, I think at the start of all of this, it was a very much of who is actually being empathetic from a marketing standpoint. And it was a very small amount of organizations that I actually think managed to do that well. I think a lot of organizations immediately looked inwards and panicked and sent the wrong kind of emails, and just didn't think things through properly didn't see things from the customer's perspective. I'm not going to name any names, but I really did think it was a bit overwhelming at the start as a consumer. And it made me really think about the, you know, the empathy that we have as marketers. And this year, I think, changed that a lot. And I think it's educated a lot of marketers in a different way of how to be more empathetic and how to share the information, but also just think about how much more information do I really need to send? Do you really need to send that email? You know, and I think that now everyone's getting it now, but um, at the start it was a bit, a bit crazy, if I'm honest, <laughs> from marketing emails. Well, was it was panic, wasn't it? You know, if any of, you know, I'd say where we were, we were definitely in a sense of panic because we had all these plans, all these things that we're going to do, investments that have been made that had to be cancelled, and and that's hard for any marketing organization. Mm. Yeah, and what we found is that there's been um, this real re-emergence of people wanting to speak to people. I think exactly what Amy's saying is that this empathy and compassion seems to have been accelerated by COVID um, uh, in a business world. Um, and um, so actually, you know, if you think about how busy everyone was, everyone's always busy, right? Um, everyone's really busy before, um, you know, uh, the, the lockdown and the, and the pandemic. And I think that actually, what we've um, had over the last year is a real humanization, especially within B2B marketing, where ultimately people buy from people. And I think that a lot of the time in B2B, we can lose that. Um, and I've definitely noticed I'm, I, I spend all day on calls and, and it's the way I stay connected with people is actually on, on these video calls. We've had this window into people's lives. You see, you know, kids coming in the background on um, on the Zoom calls and in business meetings or dogs barking at the door. And I think there's become um, this much greater tolerance for actually we're all human, whether we're, you know, in business or out of business. And I think it's almost, it's it's kind of created, merged the two worlds slightly. And I, I think that there's this desire to really work with people again that I think may have been lost just before the pandemic. I think one thing that you're saying there that's really interesting, actually, you're talking about this sort of merging of two worlds. And I think one of the reasons why, as you say, to sort of build on that point about us being more empathetic is because we realised that actually our marketing was actually an intrusion into um, people's lives as well. So we became much more respectful of, look, if we're going to engage with people, we need to make sure that we, as you say, we are sending information that's relevant. We're not just communicating and broadcasting for the sake of it, because you know that there was so much coming out. And um, and you know, I think that's yeah, I completely agree. That sort of real change of sort of empathy and respect for making sure that we're engaging um, in a way that was um, respectful of the new boundaries that we sort of needed because we were all at home and because we were in a very, very different situation and because people were under so much more pressure just trying to deal with the pandemic and children at home and that side of things as well. Yeah. Can't, can't hear you. Yeah, Christoph, uh, I think you're on mute. 
that's that's the quote of uh, 2020, wasn't it? it was you're on mute. 2020. Who who's who's leading a webinar and is talking on mute? I mean, seriously, rookie. Where'd you guys where'd you guys find this guy? Um, so usually there's a warning coming up, but I don't know what happened to that. Okay, well we got that out of the way, so we'll see what happens next. Um, Daryl, you have uh, a comfy chair as well, and I actually bought a better chair when I started working, you know, full time yeah. at home. Before when I was traveling, I could have cared less. I sat on the couch when I was at home. Um, but do you guys think is that a thing that's here to stay? I mean, I personally find I'm much more productive at home. Home, I'm much more. I get stuff done quicker. I can turn things out. I don't know how I ever had the time to fly to London for a meeting or a conference or anything. Do you know what I mean? Like now I get upset when my three second commute takes seven seconds because a cat is in my way. I, I, say, I don't mind the sort of hour drive to the office. I, I don't miss the hour drive to the office, but the 13 hour flight to Singapore, I do kind of miss because that was, that was personal time. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about this. I've been a career work in the office person. So always nine to five or more uh, in the office. Um, and, you know, having to work remotely now for, you know, since the pandemic started, um, I, I definitely see the benefits. And I, I think that a lot of companies are now opening their eyes to, you know, the possibilities of remote work and, and how it can really be a net benefit. I think one of the things that we are seeing too is how much more inclusive this type of working um, dynamic can be, um, because you're not you're now not really limited to the geographies of the you know the large cities or the tech hubs, um, you know, and 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 you're able to include a, a lot more people. Um, and I think that I think that the companies actually that have been doing remote work for a long time have an advantage here because you know they're used to it they're used to getting really you know quick work done um, where everyone's distributed and it's the companies that are having a hard time accepting this you know I hate the word new normal but um, you know accepting reality I think um, it, it are, are the ones that are that are struggling um, but but I but I'm, I'm optimistic about it and I think that overall um, you know, for for companies and for employers, I think it's for employers and employees both. I think it's going to be a net positive for all of us. See, I'm on the other side because I just desperately want to get back in the office, and I know it's a really strange thing to say, but not full time. I don't think anyone really wants to go back ever again full time five days a week. You know, thinking back to that, you know, I think it's, it feels mad now, but I think for us right now still feeling that startup vibe and the culture and how we're growing fast i think that you get such a buzz off of each other you know just thinking of um you know as we scale up constantly and we're adding more people to the team all the time and and these people are onboarding virtually and it's difficult you know and it's hard to walk into an office and just immediately get that grasp for okay there's the marketing team there's the sales team there's the customer success team and and see everyone sitting there and know that you'll gradually just get around everyone and um i think it is it's, i think it, for me i'd prefer a balance i would like to be back in the office a couple of days a week have those moments of celebration of you know learning from each other a bit more of more of the casual conversations and hallway chats and because sometimes they, they could be the most innovative surprising chats that you would have with a different member of you know a different team and then say oh you're working on that like why don't we collaborate and 
you don't really it's every single zoom call is is intention based and every single conversation has has an intention i mean even after christmas i booked in some zoom calls with some folk just to be like how was christmas and they were like so what's this meeting for so just to catch up <laughs> just to know how you're doing <laughs> but you're like you're trying to talk to you about intention based because I, uh, that's the, the the benefit and the trouble with uh a lot of the the conversations we have like this which are you know very you're there for a very specific thing um and i think you know doing presentations and updates and things like that they, these forums are great for that. Um, I spend a lot of my time bringing people together, putting them in a room and giving them a lot of post-its to try to drive to some creativity, some decision-making, really understanding the, the nature of a problem or a solution. And, and that is that, those sorts of things, which are you know, very similar to the, the random bumping in of, to people in the hallway, you, um, you, you just don't get quite the same level of uh, of interaction in a, a virtual medium that you do when you're in the same room moving post-its around. Yeah, it's, think, go ahead, Krista. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I absolutely agree with that. It's really difficult. So I've sort of really missed the whiteboarding days that you'd have where you just get everything. I mean, I'm sort of quite visual anyway. It doesn't make sense to me unless it's sort of drawn out. I think the point is that it's about choice, isn't it? I think we're going to have the choice, a lot more choices to whether we're in the office or whether we're at home. And I think that's something that maybe we didn't have before, which is a really great outcome because, you know, I think we sort of always had the idea of, you know, there was some entitlement to flexible working. I think it's been proven to really work and to be successful and that people can be productive. Um, and I think it's going to um, enable companies to have access to, you know, much wider talent pools because they're going to be able to recruit regardless of geography. I think the only challenge with that is, you know, what then does corporate culture mean if you haven't got people in an office and you haven't got a lot of that sort of tangible um uh, you know, extrinsic expression of, of, of culture. How do you create a culture when you've got so many people working from um, working from home? And I think that's probably going to be a new challenge that uh, businesses are going to face. It well, is. I think that. So, um, sorry, Christoph. Um, I was just going to say that um, I I completely agree with Krista because I actually think that moving forward, um, all businesses are going to have a much more agile working environment. I definitely think it's going to be about choice there'll be some people who will thrive in an office environment there'll some be some people who want a hybrid and some people who who really want to work from from home all the time but I think that what we need to do as marketing leaders is em empower and enable our teams to be able to work in an agile environment so if they're working from home they're able to be as effective as if they are in the office so that's making sure that our home workers are on our network in exactly the same way. They're not having to, you know, navigate, um, you know, weird kind of connections or anything like that. And I think that actually that's how we navigate as we move forward, because it is a totally new world. Um, I think, Daryl, you mentioned that. Um, and I think that as marketing leaders, I know I've got 84 people in the team and they all have different preferences. And it's my job to make sure that we can appeal to those preferences. Um, but also work effectively and constructively in terms of the business so that the um, the culture isn't um, kind of deteriorated as a result of that. I think that's the new landscape we're going to have to navigate as marketeers. 84 people on the team. Color me jealous. Oh, my goodness. 
<laughs> um, that's awesome to hear. So I got a question for you guys. So I I personally like working at home, and and at um, I'm not a fan of happy hour because I mean at all happy hour on Zoom. I don't like that. But Vox Pop Me actually does what they call snack time. So every Monday morning, everybody gets on the on the Zoom, and they literally just talk about their weekends, you know, or what they did and what sports team won, and you know, uh, whatever. Um, I make fun of um, being a what is it, a, the Birmingham football club fan. I'm not, but everybody else is a fan of the other team. I don't remember the name now, but I always say I'm a fan of that one. So, but when we're trying to get to performance, right? At the end of the day, we have everybody looking at us, right? On our teams, marketing teams and whatnot. And we people want to get performance. How do we drive leads? How do we drive um, interest? How do we even drive um, sales accepted opportunities? All this. Um, how, how are you currently getting there after you had to make, make that switch in the last year? What, what are some strategies that are working? Well, exhibitions went out the window, right? Um, I, I, they went out. I had a team stuck in Canada right at the start of. Um, and we rely heavily on exhibitions. And um, so we had to shift our strategies really, really fast. And, and Krista, I know this is one of your areas of expertise is we actually moved to a real ABM model. Um, and we found huge success in terms of leveraging ABM and um, and just that humanized approach actually speaking to people on a on an individual basis and um, understanding their challenges and, and that sort of thing and, and actually using a mixed media um, approach and I know that lots of people move to digital strategies PPC in my opinion is super super expensive um, and so we were actually looking at um, you know other ways that we can um, you know uh, really uh, you know, resonate with the market. We, we found a mixed media approach via ABM to be quite successful. And Krista, that is an area of your specialism, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I said, we were running a, um, you know, a, we, we, we formed our ABM team last year and really have been delivering it as a, as a proof of concept into the business this year. We've been doing it on a one-to-one -one basis. It's really interesting. I was just reflecting on what you were saying. And it's just like, from a digital view, we're, we're sort of, over the years, sort of from a digital view, we've sort of spent the time trying to work out how do we be more personal and relevant from a digital perspective and how do we use all the data behind that to make sure that we're serving up a really relevant and personalized experience. And then from an ABM perspective, we're looking at how can we take this relevance and personalization and scale it because, you know, ABM has worked so well in our business that there's sort of been this clamor of demand from it. And we're sort of looking around going, how, how do we begin to support this demand how do we begin to support the sales guys I mean I suppose from from my personal expect uh, perspective and my personal experience what's really made the difference with ABM is the quality and the caliber of the sales relationships that we've been able to develop and therefore ensure that the marketing support that we deliver can be really really tailored to help them meet the challenges and overcome the barriers that they're facing um, within different accounts and I think, you know, when we're talking to the sales guys, we've been very focused on one-to-one, -one, so we can give it that very specific support. When we're talking to the sales guys, we're sort of positioning 
positioning ABM because there's been an education piece to do. And we've sort of been positioning it as, look, we can be as relevant in our conversations with um, your contacts as you are when you're having a sales conversation. And it's a real partnership. And we're getting such engagement from the sales guys as a, as a response to that. They're really buying in. And, you know, it feels like a real partnership, which is just reaping so many rewards in terms of then success. Because obviously when we're joined up together, you know, um, we, we really do deliver pipeline and results for the business. I think Amy, is Amy talking? Seems like we're having some connection issues here. Is anybody going through a tunnel? Yeah. Not me. I haven't left this chair <laughs> in months. Um, good, uh, good. Just whilst we're waiting on Amy, I was just going to touch on that piece that, um, that Krista mentioned about that sales and marketing alignment. That is absolutely fundamental, right, in terms of our successes. You know, I've, I've worked with, um, you know, some significant tech businesses whereby sales, marketing generate MQLs and then sales hate them and marketing chuck them over the fence and, and all that sort of thing. And I think that's the model of old. But that, that sales and marketing alignment is so vital. We have to understand each other's challenges, each other's opportunities, how we communicate. I think that's such a, a pertinent point, Kristen. And, and Mark and Darrow, I saw you both nodding then, so I'm assuming that you've got perspective on that as well. Well, especially in the ABM area, you know, trying to do ABM with without being hand in hand with your sales organization is absolutely impossible. You're totally reliant on their their knowledge and their insight on the uh, on what's going on in the account, what who the right people are, so that you can then market to them effectively. More yeah. than that as well, isn't it? Because it's about taking joint objectives. And I think that's where the real partnership comes in. If you're both if you're both working to the same end, but you're both being measured in the same way as well. So our um, marketing function takes a pipeline um, objective from the business. Um, you know, that way you can really be sure that you're both work working towards the same ends and you've both got the same priorities. Hmm. So that's that's an interesting point. I don't, Amy, we have you back here um, on the line. I don't know what happened. I told everybody you were going through a tunnel, um, but we got you back now. So good to go. Uh, chime in when you can. So my, my question is, so I, I do agree with the whole, you want to have the same goals. But when you think about the different stages of the funnel, right? And I, I mean, I talk about this all the time. If nobody knows you, nobody pays attention, nobody's going to convert to a lead. How do you align your demand gen priorities or demand gen budgets, right? I mean, I, I know if I talk to a salesperson, most of them won't necessarily care about that brand awareness until nothing comes out at the bottom, so to speak, right? Um, so how do you how, how do you guys prioritize those different channels to drive that demand gen? Um, and, and what channels do you focus on? I think from our side, um, you know, I think an answer that really depends on what your strategic priorities are. In um, Capita, we've got a really big focus on, um, you know, the cross-sell and upsell opportunities um, that we have within our base. We deal with some really large clients. So, you know, there's, and that's why we've got the focus on account-based marketing because that aligns to our, you know, our strategic goals and, and the strategic growth plan. So, you know, I think you do need to be sort of quite, cognizant of that when you're uh, you know looking at how you want to align we are um uh, you know that's where we're expecting the growth so that's how we're investing 
Well, and again, it just comes back to the same conversation on sales alignment. If you can have a conversation with sales where it's about who they're trying to sell to, and then you can talk about how marketing can work that entire large segment at scale, because that's what marketing is great at. It's about doing stuff at scale. And if we can show them how we're going to educate, inform, bring on board those people, the right people in those organizations, and, and then come back and show them the data saying, you know, they did, look, they, they downloaded this, they watched that, they showed up at this event, then it's that alignment that drives the conversation, drives the engagement. Um, if, uh, if marketing's off, you know, doing branding or demand generation in areas that sales are not interested in, then it's not going to do any anyone any good. You need that oh, the, the segments and the, the impact to be overlapped because that's what really delivers. And you've got to be able to show those tangible results as well, yeah? In the, again, not not and and again, not in the ten not tangible results in areas that sales aren't interested in. You know, if you've got uh, if you're creating all your demand in Vietnam and you've got no salespeople there, no one's going to thank you for it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think like for me, it was um, when I started for use testing in EMEA, it was just me on my own and a sales team. And I obviously had come from Facebook where I never had before had to worry about leads, <laughs> you know. And so this was a huge, massive challenge for me. And I had never had that pressure before of generating leads. And I was also very conscious that we were entering a new market and had to do so respectfully and um, and obviously build a positive reputation and not just make it all about sales. So um, that, that was a huge learning for me over the last year and a half is actually how to align with sales, make them happy. They're always going to want more leads, but how to actually show that there's a lot of regular activity. It's a value-led content that engages people. So it's also still very um, useful and helpful for your audience. But then it is creating that return. So like, you know, for me, it comes straight down to the content you're producing and then you choose the channel and how you're gonna optimize that content. And there are so many different ways that you can do that, obviously, um, in terms of if you are choosing, for me, I, I have multi-channel marketing. So I am across all different channels and, and we do email nurturing, we do the webinars, we do events and it's, it's just figuring out, okay, that bit of content that's the most valuable to our audience and maybe it, you have to make that vertical aligned and make it specific across a particular audience and, um, and then zone in on where you can actually produce, you know, get them to engage with that content. It might be an event, it might be a webinar, and it might be an email. But it just depends on, um, you know, where your audience is and, yeah, being super targeted and making sure that you are... It might be all of the above. Because you know, people are individuals and they like to consume different sorts of information in different ways at different times. And all your prospects are at a different stage in their buying journey. So, you know, you do need to be so creative in, in putting the right information, giving, well, I like to say not putting information in front of people, but giving people the opportunity to choose what they want and how they're going to engage. Yeah. 
definitely. I think for me, it's um, it's two main things is marketing have to understand ideal customer profiles. They have to understand exactly as Mark was saying, what is going to sell? What is going to be the right product fit for um, for those, uh, that audience? And then marketing have to deliver opportunities that are ICP, so ideal customer profiles. And then the sales guys will be, um, you know, taking them off your hands. They'll be jumping for joy that you've got actually the right customer fit. It's going to be right for them. It's going to be right for the business. They're going to retain, you know, all of that. So you have to understand that ICP. And then the other main important piece for marketing, I think, is understanding your conversions. So I speak to loads of marketeers, and when I say, right, well, how many, you're, you're generating all these opportunities, what level are converting into your business? And they don't know, or it's 30% or 40%, or, you know, they, they, they have no idea. And actually, if you think about all of that marketing investment that has been spent in generating those opportunities, really converting those opportunities um, to I don't know, sales, conversations, demonstrations, whatever you happen to do in your business, um, it is really, really important. So to me, it's generating the right opportunities that are right for the business and really understanding that um, and then making sure that you've got a keen eye on the conversion. Because if there's not a keen eye on the conversion, just think about how much marketing investment you're just literally pouring down the drain. So for, that's, that's the main focus of the two key things. Yeah, understanding the marketing funnel, marketing to sales mm. funnel, is always going to be one of the most important things in any business. You know, I, you know, and the, it's never perfect. It'll never be, you know, what serious decision says is the gold standard. You'll be better in some things and worse in others, and you've got to find those things and just continually, iteratively improve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I gave up on perfection a long time ago when my my hair started falling out, and now this is the best I can do, whether you like it or not. Um, so let's talk about the sales funnel um, a little bit here or the marketing funnel even. Of course, in a digital, you know, we used to have events. You know, I used to go to events all the time too. Um, now we have webinars. Now we have virtual summits. Now we got live streams. Now we have things combined, all those different things. Uh, but as it comes to your digital marketing, when you drive people to your website. So first of all, I think this might have been, um, I did an article on the blog uh, with Web Insights. I don't know six months ago maybe or something like that about yes you got to convert people on your website but first you got to get people to your website what strategies have worked um on your website to convert people and to to connect with people what are what are some tools what are some strategies that you use for me it's um definitely about leveraging the voice of our customers i think that when COVID hit and it was kind of right how can we help people right now okay we've got this massive amount of customers that are heads of research of massive companies and of startup companies and all sorts of kinds. And we started a webinar series that we're still running now almost a year later that is just weekly interviews with those kind of thought leaders. And I think that just that again, it's back to that value-led content and you're, you're marketing to real people that are going through real things. And you've got to think, how can I help these people? And, um, and you've got to sometimes face up to the fact you don't have all the answers, but people you know and some of your customers might. So I think that leveraging the thought leadership this year is really, for me, is stuck at, you know, things I like to attend is if I see interesting people are speaking and and that drives, that, that value-like content will drive people to your website. And it's just that more genuine way to market to people. It's, you know, I'm not just trying to sell to you. I actually have, you know, some really fantastic content to share with you and great thought leaders are going to come in and share some insights with you. 
which again just comes down to the value exchange. You know, you will engage get people to engage with you if you are delivering them something of value. Um, and uh, someone recently said to me that you've got to build content that people would be willing to pay for, because if it's that good, then they will be willing to give you their details. They'll be willing to engage with you. You need to deliver that value. You have to show up with it first before you know to get them to come in the door. Uh, and if you can do that, then you can build that that relationship. But if you're just you just start straight out with a bit of product and look at my lovely features and I've got a button for that, you're probably not delivering value. I think I sorry, Amy. No, 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 it's funny. I just that was my last comment. Was just that it's that emotional engagement, like what you were saying there, Mark. Was you know getting people to feel something. It's the value exchange of as soon as they feel something, they're probably going to convert in the sense coming to your website. If you make them laugh or you make them just think of something, you know, getting um, that's the the magic of marketing. Sometimes is, is just creating content or creating some sort of creative thing that makes your audience feel something and engage. I was just going to add to that the importance of really making sure that you've got your own IP as well. There is no value to the customer in serving up something that they already know, just in a sort of slightly different wrapper. So just ensuring that, um, you know, investing in bit research perspective um, and so on and, and providing really valuable insight. But then also, um, you know, it comes back to being able to measure that. How are you measuring the success of that content? How are you measuring how long people are reading it? Not just are they clicking through from a, you know, from a, a social campaign or something, but how long are they reading it for? How long are they engaging with the content? How How is it being shared and so on to really try and get some some good metrics around the value of the, of, of how customers are finding the value of, of that, um, of that content as well. And then investing where you're getting more of the, uh, more of the value. And I think there's um, there's two key things for me just talking about that, you know, when people are, have arrived at your website, they're interested, the marketing has worked, what do you do there? My first, I've got two key things on that. My first one is probably a little bit controversial because um, I'm a real advocate of um, web chat solutions, um, but not web chat bots. Um, sorry for all the web chat bots out there. Um, I am an advocate of actually having someone there engaging a real person. It's labor intensive, but actually it's far more engaging where you can actually speak to a person. And something that I'm really keen on doing this year is trialing video chat via a website um, as well, so that you can actually engage with a a human um, right at the point when you're interested and getting that real-time engagement I think is really important when someone's actually um, you know come to your website and like automated chatbots just drive me bonkers um, I hate them <laughs> um, whereas if it's a person that is responsive that is definitely a person is helpful um, I, I find that really valuable so all of our web chats you'll find that there's um, an actual person on the back of there and you can test them go and test them go and ask them what the weather's like go and ask them what team they support because they're a real person and and we found huge value in that and, and that really helps with that immediate communication and and kind of relationship nurture as well and then the other point and I'm, I'm not here to labor on this but um is that um 
only 2% of your website visitors will inquire with you. Um, and um, that doesn't mean that the other 98% of them aren't um, interested. They're just not necessarily at that point to fill out that form. Um, and actually, if you can engage with those um, businesses who are interested, you can help them, you can communicate with them. Um, then actually understanding who is visiting your website, um, aside from those people who actually do convert, um, can be really um, useful. And Obviously, I'm going to be an advocate of that because that's what Web Insights does. Um, but it was just a really personal question. Um, and I think it's really important is that, you know, don't just think that the people filling out a form are the only people interested in your product. There, there can absolutely be a whole wealth of other people there that are, are absolutely primed to start engaging with as well. Well, I loved what you had to say about the, the fact that chatbots drive you nuts. And I think yeah. that there's, if there's something that, that I see in marketers a lot of the time is they don't think of the marketing experiences they're building in the same way that they expect marketing experiences themselves. They, yeah. they seem to expect their customers to react differently than they do. And, um, and I, I constantly refer to the, what I refer to as proposing on the first date where you know, people do you know run one event and the first thing that person does or does a download is like well i must push this as a lead i must send it to inside sales they must call out because they they they've downloaded a document and so they must be interested and ready to buy and and i it is like being proposed to on a very first date in my you know i don't have a lot of experience in this but i've got to figure that if you propose on the first date you're probably not getting the second and and I think we need to all think about the, the, the experiences we have as consumers and the expectations we have about the way we're treated and our data is treated and the way we're emailed and um, you know, the way the chatbots work with us. All of those things need, we need to be considering as marketers and, and treating people the way we would like to be treated. 100%. You're here. <laughs> <laughs> now, so I don't necessarily hate chatbots, but I but you know what I do hate is crappy chatbots. It's kind of like crappy content, and some of them. I mean, the the worst example I ever had was where the chatbot said, "I don't understand what that means. Can you rephrase it?" And I'm like, literally, I'm speaking English, you know, and like you don't know what I'm talking about, so I don't know what what's going on. Uh, but very interesting, the human touch. I don't think I've seen that on any website quite yet that I've visited. I only get the crappy bots that ask me if uh, I have any I had, questions. I had, personally, you had a really great personal experience on uh, on a website. I got put straight through on the chat bot to a real person who answered my real questions in real time in actual English. And it was, you know, and it really helped and I went and bought the product. So all good for them. I will um, do a shout out for automated chatbots, though, because I've had two experiences, <laughs> one with, um, not to plug Daryl, but one with Amazon and uh, one with um, uh, another uh, provider. Of, we're not the BBC, are we? So I can name them. It was Disney Plus, um, where they didn't give they they didn't make a thing of the fact that it was an automated chatbot. They used a lot of um, emotional IQ and um, a lot of uh, language to make it seem like you were talking to a real person. We do chatbots, so I, I, I could kind of spot some of the things, but they are so intuitive and a lot of the really good ones, so personal now. And both the Amazon chatbot and the Disney chatbot sorted problems. They're very complex. One, I needed a refund from an Amazon product. The web 
uh, the Disney one was a, a troubleshooting issue, both solved, no need for a person to be engaged, really, really good service. And yeah, I thought it was, um, I thought it was great. So I think you're, you're right, Christoph. Yeah, and, and actually, yeah, bad automated ones are really bad, but great ones actually, sometimes they've done tests and you can't tell the difference. Some of them are really, really very impressive. Um, and those uh, I think are definitely gonna be on the up, but they take the time and the effort to, uh, to, to invest to get them right. And a lot of companies don't have that. Like your content, like your video, like your events. Yeah. Do them on the cheap and expect them to work. <laughs> don't don't even don't even get, don't even get me going on that. It's like when everybody said we need images on our website, so everybody bought the same image. Um, no offense, <laughs> the blondes of the same blonde woman smiling at the camera selling different products. Do you know what I mean? It's just well, Lila, you opened a um, stirred the pot here. It looks like we have a vote of two to two so far on bots. Um, but let's move on into the next topic really briefly. I know we're, we're already over time a little bit, but let's maybe wrap that up if that's okay. So yesterday on the preview show, I talked about um, webinars, registrations, and of course, we've seen registrations, you know, people register and then an even smaller percentage shows up. And the point I made, I said, who cares? If my goal is um, leads, I don't care up because I already got their emails, right? I can still follow up with everybody and I'll talk to one person or no people. As you can see, I, I'm really good talking to myself as much as I like to talk to you guys. Um, so, but what's your opinion on these online events? How do we, how, how are they working? Um, how are you converting people? Um, and, and yeah, what are your thoughts? I've had I've had two um, two great experiences as an attendee, actually, rather than an attempt with a webinar where I was sent um, a voucher to go and get um, a coffee beforehand. This is when cafes were open, but we're all still home working. So go and uh, uh, get a free coffee on the organization beforehand, which was lovely. Um, and another event that I turned up to, and I know a lot of people are doing um, this sort of thing, but they um, emailed me in advance and said that they would love to send me um, a bottle of wine to enjoy with my evening event and was, I mind, uh, um, sending my home address so that they could arrange this bottle of for me to which I said yes please I will have that <laughs> bottle of wine that sounds lovely thank you very much and therefore of course I turn up to the event because if they're going to take the effort to send me a bottle of wine then I'm actually then going to turn up to the event because I think you know most of us have some level of realizing the value exchange and we're both at the value exchange aren't we if you give me a value of wine I will turn up to your event with the rest of the value exchange, did, did you get value from the event or just value from what they sent you? It was a large bottle of wine. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. It was uh, it was a great event, and uh, you know, well worth it. But but you know, you're you're in the right frame of mind, aren't you? When they've made that extra bit of outreach, it was um, you know, it was a lovely bit of um, it was a really really nice bit of customer experience. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic, so yeah, it was uh, it was um, it was uh, a very a very pleasing customer experience. The, th the thing that gets me about the virtual is that, you know, if you're in a, a large auditorium with a lot of other people and you find the speaker, the main speaker to be really dull, it's kind of hard to get up in the middle, walk down the aisle and, and walk out to go get a coffee. If you're at home <laughs> like this, and I think you're all, you know, you're all wonderful, but if you weren't, you know, I just put my, turn my video off, I'd go off down to something else, do my email, you know, it's, it's very easy, you know, even if people don't show up, you can lose them very quickly. And, and so I do think it comes down, even with a bottle of wine, 
perhaps even more so with a bottle of wine, if you're not delivering the value during the session, you're going to lose people, you know, either completely or so much that you, you're just not getting the value out of, uh, out of the communication. And so it, it does, you know, value, 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 value. And so you get people to register because you're offering value. You get people to actually show up by reminding them of the value they're going to get from showing up. And, and ultimately, then you need to look at who did show up and say, were those the right people? Were those the people I really wanted to show up? Or did all the right people that I wanted to show up not show and you know they registered but didn't show? And, and you need to constantly look at, uh, at the outcomes from the virtual events where the, the fall off, it does tend to be very high to make sure that the people you're speaking to in the end were the ones you wanted to speak to. I'm sorry, I, sp I spoke as Daryl was putting his hand up. Oh no, I, I think that's right on. I, I, would, I, would just, I think that it's about raising the quality of the engagement um, and you know that can happen online and offline. Um, but some of my favorite events that I've been to, um, very much like this, where there's a topic and then you, you know, you've got a couple speakers going. And then if you look in the chat, um, there's almost a full on other conversation happening. And I've been in, and been in multiple Zoom webinars and, um, you know, group virtual events like this, where, um, you know, people are networking on the side, talking and even having debates um, while while the conversation is going. And I love that. And I think that that is probably one of the closest that you're gonna get to, um, you know, a, a, a organic sort of authentic conversation um, when you can't be there in, in real life. So I, I think that there's something around community building, leveraging the communities that, that um, are, 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 are happening today and then elevating, you know, some of the community leaders or, or thought leaders within the community, um, because they will also bring their audiences to a, an event and then it, it, it will help spark that conversation. So I, I just wanted to add that, that piece to it. And I think it's a good part of um, engaging folk before the event as well, like through the power of video. So, you know, I recently took a part in a podcast where they asked me to send a video of me saying I'm looking forward to being on the podcast and and then they they made a nice video and I posted that on LinkedIn and and I think that um obviously I, I haven't followed up to check what the attendance is like but we try and do a lot of that slice and dice the content you know um after the webinars but it's probably it's it's just like what you did Christoph yesterday of talking about today engaging people giving context like the more context people have the better like there's nothing worse than a vague invite into uh, you know to a webinar or a virtual event where you really don't know what it's about i think it's always great to say here are your top three takeaways that you will get at this event and you know putting that in video form is great if you can extra level of creativity never goes amiss mm -hmm. but um yeah i just think that making sure that they're very clear on what they're signing up to i've had the worst experience when i have actually went to an event and it was nothing like what I thought I was going to. So it was just a bit disappointing. And that's probably the worst experience you can have. So just making sure that people are well informed as well like, executed. And um, and yeah, the, obviously the content is relevant. That's always the trick, right? To keep content relevant. Um, 
Fantastic discussion. Really appreciate everybody joining me today for a quick hour. Did you guys catch it? We're, we're over time. We're almost at the full hour. We were supposed to go 45 minutes. Um, the following program will now start 10 minutes late, uh -huh, as they say on TV. Um, thank you guys for joining me. Really appreciate you guys sharing your insights um, on, on this live stream and webinar. Huge thanks. Thank you so thank much. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And thanks, everyone, for watching and, of course, listening. This will also go on the podcast in a little bit. Um, until next time.